Hello, everyone. You have Jake and Seth here. Today, we're going to talk about the Born Identity, the 2002 Matt Damon action film based oh, yeah. on the Robert Ludlum novel directed by Doug Lehman. Yes. The Born Identity. Um, Seth. Yes. Remind me. Um, this was his real like action breakout role. He was already a huge star, but this is his first like action role, right? He was a Matt big star. Damon. Damon has a very famous '90s run. I want to say uh, I remember School Ties. I uh, it, then he he's in um, uh, obviously he's in Good Will Hunting. Isn't it Grace then Under Fire? In, another one too. Yeah, uh, the Rainmaker. Movie. Rainmaker, and then Talented Mr. Ripley. I think is like 1999 or something. Mm-hmm. So he has this run of like really impressive performances throughout the '90s, um, and then it's like. He's also going hand in hand with Affleck. Affleck kind of goes blockbuster a little bit before Damon. I remember thinking Damon was going to be a really good dramatic actor, like at the end of the '90s, especially after Talented Mr. Ripley. And then when I, you know, when you hear that he's in like this Bourne franchise, you're like, what is he doing? Like trying to do this action movie? Is he going to fuck this up the way Damon or the way Affleck fucked up his career? Um, but it, I don't think it was, like I think it was a great move for him. I think it got it got him into a stable franchise where he still could kind of flex his acting chops, but he could also kind of like do some more action stuff, which was different than what he had been doing before. Also, I think it's an interesting movie for Doug Lamont, the director. I don't know if it, he's also known for um, that movie Swingers, uh, John Favreau and. Um, and uh, Vince Bond both got their start in that movie. And then the movie Go uh, was kind of a popular movie in the 90s. Timothy Oliphant and like Katie Holmes are both in that movie. Um, oh, I enjoyed I, both I've of seen those. Go. Sorry? I've seen Go. Yeah. Fun <laughs> movie, right? It's interesting. We'll talk also, about that. that recently, we, I feel like we can do a whole pod on that. We probably could. Recently, also, I think uh, Edge of Tomorrow, the cruise movie, was a very big movie for Doug Lamont. Yeah, they, they talked about that on Rewatchables recently. Um, oh, yeah. That. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's an interesting director, pretty good sort of um, Hollywood kind of bigger budget type of director. And then the screenwriter for this movie is uh, Dan Gilroy, the brother of Tony Gilroy, the guy that wrote Nightcrawler. Dan Gilroy also has some other pretty good writing credits. It's both brothers and they're the son of like this broadway pulitzer prize winning director i'm trying i think their name was frank uh the father's name was frank gilroy but anyway the gilroys are like this famous screenwriting family kind of um so it's a dan gilroy screenplay that which is interesting i've heard that the movie is a lot different than the ludlum book and so gilroy obviously did an adaptation of the screenplay that being said i kind of like the screenplay and i like the story inside the movie um it's also it's um so here, it's a, it's clearly an American response to the James Bond franchise, and there's a lot of inverses in terms of what's going on in, in the Bond franchise and the Bourne franchise. In Bond, all the threats are always international. It's always like this international madman terrorist who wants to drop a bomb or pollute the water. So, you know, James Bond goes in there and saves the day, and he can always rely on people like MRQ or, you know, people from the British intelligence agency to help him out. With Bourne, it's kind of flipped. Everything, all, all the enemies are domestic. It's all this treadstone CIA, FBI, these government uh, black op, you know, sludge funds that are, uh, you know, everyone in the government is distrustworthy. Everything is domestic. And uh, and born, you know, obviously instead of wearing the suit, he's kind of more of an everyday man type of look. Uh, he he's not as suave or you know as dashing, but he's much more 
efficient, I guess I would say, and a kind of a more gritty, realistic take on a on a spy type of thing. And um, I just think it's interesting the dichotomy between those two characters and sort of like the American take on on the spy franchise and the British take, where it's like clearly the British are more comfortable with with uh, you know the SS and the, the, their government, and clearly Americans are much more paranoid about their their domestic government. And so I think. I think on that level, these movies are interesting to me, just the comparison between those two characters. My only argument would be uh, there are a lot of Americans who like, like Bond's huge in America too. So the, that, the only argument would be that it's the same audience, the American audience. Yes. But to your point, what I think it's more so of, it came out in 2002, so it was being made. I'm not sure of the exact production, but like it was coming out, it was probably in production before 9-11. But it definitely has. These, I think like, it got delayed a little bit, actually, because of nine eleven. Okay, that I was just to say because it's whether or not it was ahead of the curve, but it plays. It's already playing into all the post nine eleven things. Like yes. to your point, it's domestic enemies. It's the idea we can't trust each other. And I don't know. I, this is like before a real like Alex Jones and some of these like weird alt <laughs> alt right like Tea Party conservative alt conservative whatever stuff started coming about. Um, and I'm not saying. I'm also going to say Antifa. I would say, let me know. It's also before Antifa and like militant left. Like, but this is very much about like a dystopian government, a government that's like out of control. This is the secret state or the like the shadow government that people talk about in these conspiracies. I'm not saying it's real, but this like depiction of it is like what people are scared of. So. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And I just think, and I think the, the other point I was going to make is that I think that's really ha- the, been the feel in America since the JFK Vietnam years. And that's kind of the period when people started to realize the government might not be telling them the truth. And there might be secret funds that we don't know about that Nixon's pushing around and stuff. And I think, I think Watergate, Vietnam, and the killing of JFK just sort of led to this natural distrust we have today about the government. And I think that's reflected in the movies too. You know, you watch the, some of those movies from the '70s, the conversation and stuff. Um, it's it's a lot of stuff that we distrust our government. And so, yeah, again, I think you're right. Uh, the James Bond franchise is very popular in America, but I see it as like this distinctly British piece of work, I guess. And so, I think it's interesting to com- com- compare those two. Uh, the other movie I might compare this to that came out at the same time period was Spy Game, the the Tony Scott movie with Brad Pitt. I actually heard that Brad Pitt was originally supposed to be Jason Bourne and then decided to do Spy Game instead. I see what you're saying. I just think it's such a stretch because that is not like an action film. To me, that's more like Taylor Tinker, Soldier Spy. To me, that's more like realistic mm, okay. spy because there's not like a ton of action in that film. Like, I think I, I, I wasn't completely arguing with what you're saying. To me, Bourne is definitely a reaction to Bond. Even, even the yeah. name, Bourne and Bond, like it's yeah. Jason and James, like it's. It's and I'm not criticizing them, but it's so clearly a reaction. And I haven't read the books either. But this film, to your point, in addition to like the villains being domestic and like more, like it's the plain clothes. It's the the yeah. the plain There's clothes. Just a people. lot of inverses. Yeah, a lot of inverses. So it's definitely my critique or argument is more that it's the same audiences, but it's definitely this character is an inverse of and like right. the story and everything. And I think one of the things that serves it really well is the action. It is. It's got all the action as the James Bond film is just different. It's like more car chases and like hand to hand combat. And I'm not saying the fights or action scenes are realistic. I'm just saying compared to like James Bond, they have a more yeah. realistic, like gritty vibe to them. 
I totally agree. And it's, uh, yeah, it, uh, this movie, it, it doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't really feel like they're trying to start a franchise either. Like it feels more like a natural action movie. Like you could have, you know, I don't think they were. I really think that they, I mean, uh, this could be me just being naive, but I just remember going into it and this was a time when franchises were big and this could just be bad memory, Hollywood hype. But I remember the vibe going into it was, especially with Matt Damon at the time, like back then this was before Marvel. You weren't signing multi-year picks, like multi-movie picks before the first film came out. I'm sure it was like, yeah, we'll do something if we want, but like, let's focus on making a good film. At least that's how it felt to me. And I remember them. I remember that was like, like the least the that was the line they were all reading when they came back then. Back then, with a with an action movie, it felt like you had to prove that you were big budget in Hollywood to get a sequel. You know, Die Hard two that was like a big deal that Die Hard was big enough to get a sequel, and so it's like the idea to your point, and this is something that we see a lot now with not mainly summer blockbusters and sci fi movies. Like, and I, what I'm coming coming straight to mind is the recent Alien movies and Prometheus. The yeah. idea of saving good things for second movies or later in the movies is a new concept. And it's one of the most, I think, like destructive things I've seen as a fan of these types of movies. Like, if you have good story, like, tell one good story. Like, if yes, there's a way to tell a story and, like, plant seeds for the next. But focus right. on telling one story. And that's what I think that the, all these Bourne movies do really well. They they take it, and to your point, they're not these huge world-changing events. They take this, like, very, I don't want to say small, but they take, a, like, a more focused event or danger, and the movie's about that, and each movie propels, like, the greater conspiracy forward. And then, um, uh, do we want to talk a little bit about uh, the characters in this movie? Because um, The, one, the Damon, one thing I wanted but... to say, uh, in addition to that, before we jump into the characters, was I really loved... You kind of hit the nail on the head, like talking about Watergate and the Kennedy assassination. And I think it's something that's kind of switched or maybe still switching in the last 10 to 15 years. The people who used to like say, oh, the government's doing this, the government's doing that. And first of all, let me just say, there are tons of crazy government conspiracies out there. I'm not like, I think the government does really a lot of good things. But the idea that there aren't some subversive or negative government behavior going on is beyond like naive at this point. Um, And just like and whether it's there have been whether it's the Snowden leak, there are tons of leaks. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with anything, but I'm just saying our government, like the Patriot Act, anyone who's surprised when they find out that the government is like listening in on us or allies or someone else. For anyone who's above a certain age, I always think you're being a little naive. Like, yes, yeah, some of these are stories, but like, it's not, and this isn't an indictment on our government or any other government, but like, governments are going to poke in their head where they don't des- like deserve. And our government has a really long track record of kind of overstepping their bounds, both domestically and internationally. So I'm sorry, not trying to go political here, but I do think it's something that's really switching. And this movie kind of plays into that is it's the first time is the, this government conspiracy and yeah, it's like secret assassins and MK Ultra and all that stuff. But the movie is, feels really re- realistic, and I think it helped kind of. I think that really helps with the movie. And yes, so. that, one of the things I also I like is that um, the assassins in the movie you're, they don't come across like these MK Ultra brainwashed guys. They come across as trained military guys. 
that have just been like in in it for too long kind of like they don't come across as like these sort of like caricatures the clive owen scene at the his death scenes really uh kind of i mean he's only got a few lines in the movie but that scene really sticks out by the by the end of the watch i think they he was great and that was actually i didn't realize he was in that until like rewatch a couple years later because that was before children of men and i love him in that that was his real breakup and i think closer but he is this small really great role in the film and there are some really good roles throughout the film and seeing yeah. that should we dive I was into on, the, the other guy i was shocked to see who i didn't know was in it was walton goggins did you catch him yeah i was actually he was on my list as i was like oh um i, I couldn't thought, believe that also i can't i'm not excuse me i'm just pronouncing this but Adewale uh ekanoe Ajubkai, oh yes echo from lost and i was like yeah. oh echo yes <laughs> Love him. I like him. Yeah, I always like that guy. Um, Although, also, Famke Jensen in this movie, I think, uh, really underrated performance by her. She's a she's a good actress. And uh, what you mean, Frank really Frank, Frank Potente, right? Sorry. Yes. Yes. You All said right. it right. Because I was going to say, I, I I was after seeing, I was like, where does she go? Like, I remember she was in a couple things. Like, where'd she I don't go? Know. I don't know. If, yeah, she's one of those where it's like maybe you had the wrong agent, or maybe you just made. To, I, I'm not sure what happened to her, but it's like she was in. Uh, La Femme Nikita, right? I want to say. I'm pulling up right now. She was in Blow. Run Lola, Run Lola Run. Run Lola Run. Yes, that's what I'm talking is about. One of my favorite. I would love to watch that with you. That to me is one of my favorite movies. It is so good. I think I honestly wonder if that's why she was cast in this because I know Doug Lamont has like a French background. And I think that, uh, and obviously this movie is mostly set in Paris. Um, so I wonder if that's kind of, uh, I mean, maybe he's just newer or something, but I think she's really good anyway in the movie and, uh, for it to be an action movie and for her to kind of bring a human quality to it and some humor to it. And for the viewer, it's very hard for you to kind of inhabit Damon because it's like, I'm not a trained assassin. I don't really know what it feels like to think that way. And so I think for the viewer, you end up aligning a lot more with her character and seeing the, the, the story through her eyes. And, um, I think she's just a really good addition to the, to the story and just really works well and helps. Yeah. Again, not only helps develop Damon sort of develop a character who he knows nothing about himself, but it's like, just kind of helps bring back, bring a human quality to the story. Yeah, she was a great window into the world, and the humor element was something I didn't really realize. Um, and also the romantic element for Damon's character. She's yeah. really his, she's bringing out his personality and the most likable things. I one of the things we talk about a lot are like connect, being able to connect with characters. His protectiveness over her, their relationship, their chemistry, really grounds this film, and. At least for me, it gives you something to, to hold on to outside of it just being like an action shoot 'em up film. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the, I think the other component then is sort of like the the Chris Cooper, Brian Cox, Julia Stiles, the the American sort of government people. Um, yeah, and I think you have to talk about and you have to group them all together because like every yeah. you're seeing them all together all, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of those three, I think I think Cooper's the best. I think Cox has a scene where he was really good. It was kind of interesting because I've watched Succession so much. It was interesting to see Cox in this movie. Um, and then I think Styles is solid. Styles is another one, kind of like um, uh, the actress who, sorry, I forgot her name already. It was Marie. Franca Potente. Uh, sorry, what was it? Franca Potente. Franca Potente. I think Julia Styles is the American version. Like, why weren't you a little bigger, Julia Styles? 
I thought your career was going to, you know, explode at some point. It never really happened. That's a great point. Um, I like Julia Stiles. I always think about her in 10 Things uh, I Hate About You, but she had a bunch of good films when she was younger. She was, yeah, she was also in that dance movie, Save the Last Dance. Oh. She had some good teen movies. She had, some, she, had a, she had a good run there. I think I liked her in this. I agree she was the most likable. Uh, I mean, excuse me. I thought Chris Cooper was the best. I love Brian Cox. Julia yeah. Stiles, I'm surprised she made it as long as she did in these movies and not in a mean way. But I never got, I never really felt the chemistry between her and the Matt Damon character. I felt better chemistry between him and almost every other character in the series. Yeah. Not trying to be mean. It's not a, a critique on either of them. But I'm surprised she made it as long as she did. Uh, Brian Cox, I just want to say, I love him. He was in uh, X-Men 2. X-Men 2, yeah. As He's William great Stryker. And that was when he came onto my radar. And it's weird to like to look back. But I remember being like, I love this guy. And like without realizing, like, real, not yeah. looking back at the time, realizing, like, oh, I really like something about this guy. And he took off after that, and it was like, okay. He's definitely a guy that, like, he's played a ton of parts like this, like, you know, I don't know, FBI government. And, like, you just kind of forget how many movies he's done because, like, he's just done so many of these kind of roles. He was also, and then I remembered him, the thing I'd seen him before, X2, was Long Kiss Goodnight, where he plays oh, that was the, yeah, <laughs> a CIA Kiss, handler. Plot-wise, Long Kiss Goodnight is so similar to this movie, it's almost a little fishy at times. <laughs> it is. Well... In terms of style, and we'll probably get into that in the like, style is very different between the two, but that's yeah. something we can talk I, about. I just mean the story is like uh, uh, a spy has acute memory loss and then slowly refines their skills and then has to take on the government that started their pro. I mean, it's almost the exact same story. It is. I mean, you could. The only change is the sex, like it's a woman yeah. and that she has a family. And then it's like, but yeah, no, you're right. And actually, and it's like you you change the French chick for Samuel Jackson. It's like you just kind of do this like weird little. <laughs> no offense, but I'll take that train any day. I'd ride with I'd ride with uh, SLJ. I do. Anyone who wants a really underrated Samuel Jackson performance, watch Long Kiss Goodnight because he's amazing in that movie. <laughs> that's a great. That might be on my recos later. That's a that's a great film. All right, um, all right. We talked about so Cooper. We talked about the Cooper Cox styles. Anything else you want to know yeah. about them? Uh, no, I think, I just think, I think that, that's kind of the core of the movie is you sort of have Damon and Potente and then you have Cooper, Cox and Styles sort of trying to figure out where Damon's going. And then you have these assassin characters that kind of come in and try to take him out, which are, most of them are kind of one note, but the Clive Owen one really does still stick out to me. I remember that scene. That's one of the few scenes I did remember on, on rewatch and then seeing it again, I was still kind of like, wow, he really acted well like it's a it's a short scene too but it's like he really kind of steals it from damon right there it was a cool scene and he's like he's not the first villain to go up he's not the first assassin they send so you get these really bigger action scenes and it's almost like cat and mouse sniper yeah. fight so it's a different action scene it's really well executed and with the 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 scene at the end the exchange between them it ends up being really effective and not to bring it back to Marvel movies, but it reminds me like sometimes those quieter, it's like the sub, that's yeah. a good subversion. You expected a big shootout, but it's this quiet, yeah. intimate scene and you get to see you're just introduced to this villain and you realize, wow, it's a shame he's dead. That maybe there's more to him like than we realized, but it's he's the, dead. It's the one time you, Damon's sort of watching him talk and you're like, oh, this is the one time he's found somebody like him that he can relate to. And it's like, they're actually having this friendly conversation kind of, but it's like sad because Owen's dying and then you're like, oh, this is the one guy 
that could kind of like talk to Damon and, and like they could like relate to each other. And it's like, no, this guy's going to die because Damon killed him. And it's like, he's just watching it happen. So it's, a, there's a lot of emotions going on. And then, and then Clive just plays it really well and very subtly. And yeah, I think that that scene, I think is probably the best in the movie. I, I would, I think my favorite action sequence is probably the, the Paris car chase when uh, Potente is finally like, yes, I'm going to run with you. And Damon's like, you sure your tires aren't too splashy? <laughs> and he like looks at the, he looks at this insane, crazy map of Paris for five seconds and apparently memorizes every street and back alley. <laughs> you just go get it, bro. <laughs> I really, I enjoy it. It's like, it's all stuff that's like Hollywood kind of, but it, they do it in a, in a smart way. And the, and then the, the, the action sequence is really good. The chase through the Paris streets, I think is really good. The, I really like that scene as well. I think the one that takes it for me, it's when the assassin like breaks in through the window and they have oh, this the fight hand, and, he, like, combat? and he stabs his pencil. Too. I just remember. Oh, that's gnarly. Yeah. I just remember it still sticks with me and not necessarily just the graphicness of that scene. But I remember seeing that in theaters and that being one of those whoa moments. And all oh, this, there's like a one or two scenes in each of these movies where it's like a cool action scene. I guess the best way to describe it without having a specific word for it is it's like something I hadn't seen before, but that I liked. And it was, for me, that fight felt like they were, you were a physic, watching a physical fight right in front of you. It felt so real and just how graphic yeah. it was. And also the other thing too, is this is a, he had a few action scenes. This is like Matt Damon's first real big, like punch yeah. him up action scene. And he was great in it. So I just, and going back. So for me, it's like watching almost, this is going to sound so kind of sunny, but it's like watching a friend or maybe like a brother or cousin. It's like going back and being like hitting a, a game winning shot or a big home run. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> like you got it. Like, this is the moment like this. That was the moment I knew he could be an action star. It definitely, it sort of feels like it's the moment where he's transitioning from like boy to man. Like uh, even when watching the movie, I remember like his face looks very young. His body is definitely different. Um, but it's like, he's sort he's sort of growing up enough from the Goodwill hunting character that he's believable as the spy character. I also, I still think that there's like this residual effect from Goodwill hunting where because he was believable as this super genius that kind of carried over into the born character. And he's actually believable as this guy that can memorize all this stuff and know all these things. I think you're right. The way I describe it, it's like an otherness and it's something yeah. that it's like in the born, the other, excuse me, in Goodwill hunting, and when I say the other, it's like something other than normal is the way I describe it. And he was so smart. He had a hard time connecting with people. That's what made his connection with the driver. Right. And um, it's he was just so much smarter. And in this one, it's more physical, but he's clearly separated from everyone else by yeah. well, there's some clearly intellectual, maybe instinctual, but a physical difference. And and then in this case, it's more Franco Patente and the Julia Stiles character they use to try and ground him and make him human. But you're right. I, I think it's something – and he doesn't have it in every role. And it's something he can turn on and off. And I think it's something that really works well for him here. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it was uh, – at the time, I don't think I realized how important the movie was for him. I mean, now it's like in retrospect, it's kind of obvious that it turned into this big franchise. And it's kind of like it's it was a good cornerstone for him. I want to – was he in Ocean's Eleven before this movie? I haven't pulled up. Wait, I just wanted to say that because I'm so glad you brought that up. That was my biggest takeaway at the time and thinking about it now and like really reflecting on it. Yeah. Was appreciating like 
he is an action star now. He does. He's so much bigger than that. Like Tom Cruise only does action movies. He can do an action right. movie, and he can just as well do a great. Um, he did Ford vs Ferrari, and he got like he. Yeah, he can do anything. He's very versatile. Um, yeah, he's he's, he's I, like I would say he's one of the very few like Hollywood stars that can like do he can do highbrow stuff or he can do action and he can be pretty humorous too. Like he's a pretty he's a, you know there's only so many leading men that you can throw into different genres and stuff like that. True. So Ocean's Eleven came out before. The only thing I'll say okay, is that's he, interesting. that was a supporting role though. He wasn't he wasn't pulling although he'd already started a lot of things. That was a that was a big. It was, yeah but it's so that's interesting to know that because it's like it's yeah it's like you know he's not Clooney or Pitt and they're kind of making fun of it in the movie it's a very meta role for him or whatever but I think like you know as much as the Oceans movie might have pushed his uh uh like sort of Hollywood buzz I think this movie really like solidified that he, not only was he like a good actor and like he had won an Oscar for writing for Good Will Hunting don't forget but it's like now he also had a successful action franchise that was taken seriously. I again, you bring it back to comic book movies. For me, it's just the easiest analogy. Ocean's Eleven is the big ensemble movie. That's the Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. One thing to <laughs> it's be, a, it's a one thing to be a good piece or a good part of that pie. It's another thing to go out on your own and have your own billion dollar franchise like a Spider Man or a Black Panther. And this is again not a perfect analogy, but. I think and, that was a good analogy, actually. Yeah. I was like, because in Ocean's Eleven, it showed he has the chops to go toe to toe with these A list stars and like bring something to the screen and bring the best out of them. And then it's like Born Ultimatum. It's like, okay, he can do this, and this isn't a critique. This is a great cast, but he can do this on his own movie. Like he can elevate everyone. He can be the best. Yeah. He can be the best part of a great movie, which is a better way. To yeah. Describe it. Yeah. Um, any other uh, scenes or anything? Any scenes that stuck out to you? The scene I always like is when he's talking to her and he's like explaining and he's reading all these people in the room and it's, he's basically like, I don't know what's up, but I know this big, like heavy set guy can handle himself. Oh, yeah. And it's so cool. <laughs> and it's one of these scene. scenes. It's like a rain man scene. And to your point, it's similar to the scene when he looks at a map and memorizes Paris and like, like, a, like yeah. a five seconds. There's a couple of that. Yeah, it's also like he walks into the U.S. Embassy and you can see he like checks out all the cameras. He sees the guys with the radios, and then like once the shit is the fan, it's like he grabs a radio. He knows which way to go. He like goes. You know, it's like he, I don't want to say. You know, it's funny. Like we talked about Mary Sue's a lot with uh, Star Wars, and it's like I don't really want to call him a Mary Sue, but there are definitely some moments where it's like, okay, you're just that smart. You knew how to get out of this situation or something. As a comic book fan, I think I'm a little more okay with the Mary Sue thing. And the reason is in comic books, if you read, especially the, old, the older ones, which I've read a lot of, it's always the villain. There's two types of winning. It's like, oh, it's a lucky shot or the Mary Sue moment or the villain captures them right. and like instead of killing them, puts them in a trap and gives the hero time to get out. But um, the reason I read that, it's usually one or the other. So I don't have as big a problem. I think this film does a better job than others of explaining the Mary Sue. Like him actually yeah. saying, I don't know how I can read all these people, but it neat like it sets up that he can analyze situations faster than he even knows how. But it's an instinct and he can do it. With that being said, you made a great point. Sometimes it kind of pushes like a uh, incredibility. But the thing we talked about Bond before, and I love Bond um as well, the character. 
Bond, it's about gadgets and his charm. In this, like, I feel yeah. like they try and just like establish that it's skills and training that that. that I, that's a great point. Yeah, I think they're really smart. That I, Bond it feels like people want to be um, sort of they want to go to Bond and sort of like fall for him and swoon for him and just like uh, fall into the character kind of. And this is a lot more like, hey, if you want to be a spy. You need certain skills and you need certain abilities and you got to be able to talk all these languages and you got to be able to, you know, be, be think faster than the authorities and all, all that, all those kind of things. So I think you're right. That's a, that's another great point. I, I think the more you look at the movies, you, you'll find even more like inverses if you really did a deep, deep dive. Oh, well, another, the biggest inverse is also Bourne's relationship with the women, like Franco Potente. It's a real sure. romantic yeah. relationship where they care about each other. Julia yeah. Stiles, it's like a deep friendship. And Bond, uh, to your point, I'm sorry, Bond, so many problems are solved because the bad guy's villain, the villain's girlfriend loves Bond. Right. Or yeah. was like, what is willing to die for it's him? All, I mean, you know, also, this is, you know, Bond, Bond started in the 70s, but the Sean Connery Bond treated women like tissues. I mean, he would use them and throw them away and go on to the. I mean, it was just. Pierce Brosnan, they, they, they're. The Daniel Craig Bond, I think, has tried to make more of that, more of a storyline, yeah. the womanizing aspect. It's a character from another time. It's one of these things. I'm not criticizing Bond fans, and I get it. He's from another time. But it's one of the elements of the character that if we really want Bond to survive for another 50, 100 years, they're going to need to tweak that element. Yeah. Maybe it's you make him a woman. I'm sorry, people freak out. But like, and then have it like doing it to men. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe it's you make it like, maybe he does have 30 STDs. Like, I don't know what it is, but like. Oh, well, yeah. I think like, you know, as time goes on, that character's going to fall. You know, I think they're already talking about having an African-American bond and or, you know, I've heard rumors of female bonds. So I think as time it's going to evolve. But, the you know, the credit I'll give to the Bond franchise is, look, all these spy movies will always be compared to you. You know, whether it's the, the conversation or enemy of the state or the porn movies or spy game, it's like. You know, there's good movies that are spy movies, but it's still always going to be compared to that franchise because that's kind of the biggest spy franchise. So it's like I agree, and I think that's the highest honor you can pay a film. Like, yeah, to be the pinnacle of a genre. Uh, and boy, as great as Born is, I'm sorry, they're going to need to make another fifty Borns in order to even come yeah. close. Yeah, I mean, uh, I th- I was going to say I think there's an argument to be made that like maybe this movie or I yeah I haven't watched the sequels recently, but I wouldn't like be upset with someone if they were like I like Born Identity more than all the Bond. But I think everyone would admit that, like, culturally, the Bond franchise is just worse. <laughs> I agree. Born in terms of quality over the short term, I think has been has been better, and I know a lot of the Craig movies I think have been too, yeah. perceived well. But that's just my take. I think it's the better over my lifespan. It's better, although, yeah, it needs. The, honestly, it's probably going to need. They tried to do it with Jeremy Renner to take over the Bourne mantle, although it was it was kind of like they didn't actually make him Bourne, which that. is a mistake. Yeah, they should have made him Bourne. The reason, the reason that film didn't do better when I saw it was as a fan. How you're calling it a Bourne film, but it's not Bourne, and like it made decent money, but not not gangbusters. But like, as a, how do you expect the audience to commit to this actor and character if you're not like? And so that was my kind of takeaway, but. To me, I know the books might not be, there might not be as big a gap in terms of books, but in terms of movies, Bourne needs like 50 years of solid movies to even start, (laughs) to even be in the conversation. Because I kind of rip Bond sometimes. I like, the Bond films are, they're not all great, but I like a lot of the bad ones. Like, I love Moonraker. It's probably from watching them, like, when I was younger. They used to have, like, the 
the cl- the Turner Classic Movie marathons. They were on all the Turners. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, Jake, the Bond films, it has a much more comic book quality to them, where it's like, you know what you're getting, you know what the formula is. I've read some of the Ian Fleming books also, and it's like, it's a very formulaic way of making a novel. Uh, like, you know that there's always going to be this action sequence at the beginning of a Bond film that ends with, like, something, you know, kind of outrageous happening. And then then you also know that there's always going to be a sequence where they introduce new gadgets to him, and, and Q has all these new things for him. And so it's like... You, he meets it's just the femme kind of, fatale. He always meets, like, the femme fatale. Yeah, the, the beats are just always familiar, and they always work well. I mean, there's a reason why the franchise is that successful. It's like, that formula works for movies, and it will continue to work. And it's just kind of like... They also, I, I, yeah, I think there is a comic book sort of quality to it. You're right. They've also always leaned into the pretty people doing pretty things, which helps people yeah. like to see that on screen. And, and then they also they tied in the the famous music. You know, they always get a, a famous pop artist to do a song for them. And I think that's worked well. That's your 100. Also, the opening was very iconic of him shooting yeah. with like the the blood. Merchandising the car too. They made a lot of smart business moves throughout the development of the franchise. Where does that leave us with Bourne? I think we talked about all the characters, right? Were there, we, in terms yeah. of likes, we've also kind of through it, we kind of talked about the likes. And one thing I'm going to bring back to is just to put another exclamation on it. The action scenes were really cool and they do a great job of alternating, like getting different styles in there. Yeah. Yeah. The action holds, I mean, at this point, this is a, almost a 20 year old movie and the action scenes really do hold up. So I think that's saying something for sure. And, and I'm yet, just going to say it practical effects. 20 years later yeah, because it's people doing it or for the most part and it holds up. Yeah. And like you watch that car chase through Paris and you're like, wow, they're driving the shit out of this mini through Paris and like doing all these slide turns and stuff. And it's cool to watch. I actually, I read the, another trivia thing I read was, uh, it was the same car stunt crew that did Ronin, which, uh, regardless of the movie, a lot of cool car chases in Ronin. So whoever those guys are doing those chase scenes have some skills. I wonder if those guys also did the, on blinking on the name, it was the um, the Italian job with Mark Wahlberg, because there's a great Mini Cooper yeah, yeah. scene in there as well. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I just think the confluence of Doug LeMond uh, doing a good job directing, and then Dan Gilroy with a good screenplay adaptation, and then Damon as sort of your main guy. I think the three of them that, that, I think that was just a good team of guys, and all three of them kind of came out with a good movie. I want to say the uh, the sequels, I think, were made by Paul Greengrass or something. Like, I don't think Doug LeMond stayed on. I believe they. I believe they were. I don't. I I know he worked on two, if not all three. Yeah. And I actually I like Doug LeMond. I think he's got a really he's had some bad movies, but he has some good ones. Yeah, you're right. It's Paul Greengrass after that. Yeah, and yeah, I like Doug. I mean, I like both those directors. Um, but it would, I mean, it would have been interesting to see Lamont kind of keep going with it. I guess I think Greengrass does a great job of like taking the baton and running with it. I would have liked to see where Lamont went, especially seeing like when you see the uh, Live Die Repeat film with or yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Like that was a, seeing some of the other films he's done in terms of action. Like I would have liked to see what else he could have done. I, I like him a lot. This is you nailed it. It's got the writing, the directing, and the main lead. Like you, that's not all it takes to make a great movie, but almost all great movies have those three things. And, yeah. and I think it really it sets up the future franchise, even if not all of those, if, even if not all parts of that main trilogy are coming back. Yeah, and then to yeah, and then to get the, like good performances out of Patente and Cooper and Cox and Clive Owen. You know, it's like you you kind of they kind of hit. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying they're hitting home runs all over the place. I'm just saying like they're at least hitting singles or doubles with all of those. You know, 
I would I'll give them doubles. Like everyone, yeah. To put again, to put in baseball terms, these aren't like uh, cheap singles. They're they're all getting yeah. up there and they're they're getting they're barreling up. Yeah, exactly. Those <laughs> are some hard hit balls there. <laughs> um, I do. Were there any dislikes you had? Any? any do you want to do gripes of wrath or anything specifically that jumped yeah, out? Yeah, I got, you know, I think I kind of touched. I think my the gripe I would have is I think there's a bit of a Mary Sue quality to the foreign character where he can kind of figure his way out through it. Like you can kind of write him out of any situation through his super intellect and skills and stuff like that. Um, I don't, I didn't have too many gripes, honestly. I think it's a pretty well-made movie. I, I don't know if it's airtight. Um, I, uh, one, of, one of the things I found really funny was when they sort of cut to the war room with Chris Cooper and he's like, let's get a map on the wall and all that stuff. And it's like, I forgot, I just forgot all the computer screens were so fucking big. And I was just like, I forgot what all, all these monitors were just these giant things in a room. And like, there's no flat screens anywhere. Everything just looks so big and clunky. <laughs> I was, I, I liked it. I, it was by no means a perfect movie, but like, I didn't, I had a, we watched a lot of great movies. I'm usually very critical. I don't have a ton of things here. I, it. Coming into it, looking for an action spy thriller. It's really good. I love this. It's delivers. Yeah. And this was one of the movies I like, Matt Damon. This is one of the movies where I started like really like uh, not to be gushy on you, Seth, and say love, but this is when I was like, this is a guy I'll start seeing almost anything he's in. I'm like, he really the way I he was agree. able to like run like to be the central part of this great movie. And I saw this multiple times in theaters. I was actually always thinking of my buddy uh, Pete Sherman from school who loved this film. This was like his favorite. He loved all these movies. But like him <laughs> watching this was how I felt watching Marvel, which made me like it even more. Um, it's got The cast is great. I guess the only thing I would say, there, there are two things, and they're, they're slight. They're, they're slight. I'm not really going to get too into it. But one, fleshing out the Matt Damon backstory a little more with like the Adewale Ekinoa. Like I'm sure there are bigger parts of the book and I'm sure there's probably some cut scenes, but just understand. It's a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the one I take away was that like he didn't shoot him because his kids were there, but like, I think we need a little more time with those characters for that to have a little more meaning. I, I, that I hate doing the rewriting fair fan fiction. It's just something I think they could have done better. And then the other thing too is uh, it's, also a critique of like the CIA setup. Uh, for me, it wasn't so much the technology, but it was just the, I, we needed a little more clarity there. I, I think it could have been done in a better way. Talking, I, about, well, talking about how different, like a, this movie did so many things differently. And this just yeah. felt like it could have been plucked from any other movie with like CIA backroom dealing. I, yeah, it felt like I think enemy of the state is sort of the movie that's sort of invented that like backroom sort of thing with the maps and everything and the GPS signals and stuff. But um, I think it was a little confusing. I didn't quite catch everything between Chris Cooper and Brian Cox, but it's like, I'm not, I wasn't totally under, I didn't totally understand like why they weren't trying to just get born and like talk to him and see if he was like, I was like, why are they immediately just like, let's kill this asset. Like they talk about at one point how it takes $30 million to train him or something. And it's like, if, if he's that valuable, why don't you see if you can bring him in and talk to him and like, maybe you can repurpose him or something. But it was like, it's weird to me that like from the get go, Cooper and Cox are like, we got to kill this fucking guy. That was the thing I found weird too. And I've seen all the movies and I don't know, like I thought there was going to be a bigger conspiracy. I think there was a way to tie it together more succinctly. I don't know exactly how, but to have his failure somehow tied back to them more directly 
and they want to kill him just so they don't like yeah and i know that like that was kind of what it was but i just think there could have been a more direct link and to your point i'm sorry beyond that how many assassins do you need to lose before you're just like and i'm sorry the u.s government has a long track record of this if you can't beat them have them join you or i'm not excuse me not of you if you can't beat them join them but of like you respect the game and you bring your enemies into the fold like operation paperclip we always had like um allies when like it's something we've always done so for me again just talking about being realistic these are really smart guys you've lost 150 million dollars sending five assassins after this guy so clearly he's probably worth i don't know is he worth a billion like he's an asset why don't you try and get him on your side he's not working for any of your enemies he's clearly like make right by him and that's something after four movies or five movies like how has no one in the u.s government made a concerted effort to be like let's get right by this guy and i've seen the movies i know there's some guys who are like i think he might be okay and julia style's character is all about that but like why isn't there a concerted effort for the u.s government to stop wasting resources on bringing this guy back in and just being like yo dude do you want to work for us again? We'll stop, killing, yeah. we'll stop trying to kill you. That, that, yeah, that kind of feels like the biggest flaw, like in the logic of the whole thing. It's, it's not, the, like it, it's, in the first movie too. Before they kill his girlfriend, it seems way more likely that you could sway him back into the fold before, like you've done any real damage to his life. I guess now that we're talking about it, it's the politics, the CIA internal politics. Yeah, it's not developed enough. And again, this is I like the movie. I like the actors who play the CIA people. I just think it was it was. Part of the movie that felt a little undercooked for me. I agree. Yeah. Um, any other gripes? No, no. I, I didn't really have any many gripes. And again, I know we've done a lot of good movies recently that I was super critical of. Uh, I just don't be surprised. I'm not going to have a super high score for this one, but I liked right. it. I will go into this type of movie with a lower expectation and not in a negative way. I just want to be entertained and like the characters and feel like a threat. And this movie does all that. Totally agree. Um, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go? I'll go. Um, so as I said, again, I need to look at our scores because I feel like there might be a huge variance in the way I. I They're probably them. we yeah. It's like if I was looking at all my scores while I was scoring this movie, it would probably be like more precise. I guess the one thing I will say is like when we do it like this, I'm going to think of this film much differently than I do Endgame or Uncut Gems. Like I have so much more expectations going to Avengers Endgame. For Uncut Gems, I'm going to approach it from like a different, different like critical artistic yeah, yeah, point yeah. of view. Not saying this movie isn't critical or blockbuster. Well, I think, like to me, it's like I judge this against like other actions and spy movies. So it's like whether yeah. it's Bond or Spy Game or like Die Hard or like you know, like you said, Italian Job. Like I think it's it, I compare it to those type of movies. So I'm going to give this movie an eight. Ooh. Okay. I, I I was coming in a little lower, but I'm bumping it up because I really enjoyed rewatching it. And this is something I keep bringing up. Not that all movies need to be short, but it's under two hours. It's like under two hours. And when you take out the trailer, it's basically an hour and 50 minutes, a little less than that for a really cool, fun spy thriller with also a young Matt Damon, great cast. Yeah. And it, it has enough twists and turns in the story it's not an amazing story, but it's it's a good story. Enough twists and turns that keeps you going. And if you're buying into the Franco Patente Matt Damon relationship, it, it's then it's just about hitting on all cylinders with that. The action and the story. I agree. Yeah, so that's a strong score. I think I was like, I think I'm going like seven point seven. So I think we're pretty close here. Um, My first like score said, was seven eight. 
I bumped it up. I mean, hey, there's nothing. There's no rule that says we can't have the same score. I don't know if we've done that yet. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's a good adaptation by Gilroy. I think a lot of times when people try to adapt books, um, it can end up too long or too meandering. And I think he does a good job of making the story kind of work in the movie format. And then I think Lamont does a good job directing, especially in the action scenes. Like we said, you know, not only just one style of action too. There's some good hand to hand combat scenes. There's some good driving and chase scenes. And the that, I mean, I enjoyed the action scene, too, uh, at the farmhouse in the field between Clive Owen and Damon. Um, and then, yeah, the acting is good. The cast is deep. So it's a really, it's a very, very watchable movie. Like, I think you could throw this on with a girlfriend. You could throw this on with a friend. You could throw this on with, a, uh, you know, your, your child, as long as they're of appropriate age, of course. Um, I think it's like, I think it hits a lot of demographics. Um, it's, just, it's, a, it's an easy movie to watch. It's a fun movie to watch. There's good action. There's there's some good acting, and then there's a you know minor dash of humor. Oh, I also one thing we didn't mention, uh, the, the end credits, uh, the Moby soundtrack kicked in there. I was like, oh yeah, Moby. He was kind of around back then. Uh, also known for the soundtrack on Heat, he does the the credits there. Uh, I don't know. I thought that song actually kind of worked for them. I was like, oh, for some reason, this Moby song just like fits right in the end of this Born movie. <laughs> He's fine for credits, but I think Moby may be better left in the past. That was that was a weird time <laughs> in America, in the world, really. <laughs> He's got good credit songs. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give him credit for the credit songs. It they but, was it was good. It was good. It's I mean yeah I don't know it uh, fit in there. Those are strong scores though seven point seven eight point oh. I mean it's uh for an action movie I think you know that's pretty strong scores. That's pretty strong. And the other thing I'm not to. Keep going back to it, but I'm gonna give a. I, I think one of the reasons I'm giving a little more bump too is knowing that it started a franchise like uh, that's really spawned yeah, yeah. out. And um, I think the third one's really good. There are other action scenes, but this one, I don't know if it's the best. I actually think the third one might be my favorite, but this one's really good. And and it, I it's say, yeah, it's like I remember the second one starts with the girl dying, and that that's kind of a dramatic moment. It was the second one. Well, we can say the second film. I feel like the second film suffers from that. Because that was your window into her, and I get why they did it. It was to yeah. put the action to him, but he wasn't as likable. I I feel like by the end of the second movie, I w- I was where I needed to be to care about him. I think they needed her. I think they should have wait, waited a while to kill her off. But I agree. It's like she re- like she really works for me in the first one, and it's kind of yeah. Once she's dead in the second one, you're like, so I'm just with Bourne. It's a little bit. It's a little bit like the uh, the Hicks kill off in uh, yeah, in yeah, Alien yeah. Three. It's like wait, you, you spent all movie saving them. Man, oh, oh they're, okay. They're gone now. Cool. Um, all right. I guess that, that wraps it for uh, The Born Identity. That was it. Goodbye, people. Bye, people.